You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. The saying "as American as baseball and apple pie" illustrates how connected baseball is with the idea of being an American. But how did baseball become the national pastime? Was it an American invention or an import from our melting pot nation of immigrants? And if baseball is indeed an established game from another country, what are its true roots? We'll take a look at baseball's origins on today's episode of Rounders, a history of America's game. Hi everyone, I'm Jeff Lambert. I want to thank you for tuning in to the first episode of today's podcast. I'm really excited about starting this up. It's been a dream of mine to get something like this going for quite a few years, and now I have the opportunity to do so. I am really looking forward to covering a broad range of topics, and you can expect a new episode from me every Sunday to be uploaded. I'm looking for you to get connected with me on social media as well so you can give me ideas for future topics that you want to see researched and discussed. I'll talk a bit more about those social media accounts later on in the show. But for now, let's get going. As we look at baseball's origin story, I think it's important to examine the historical record to see if there's any games or pastimes that share similarities to the game we know today. There are actually quite a few examples that range all the way back to ancient Egypt. I'm not saying that Egyptians and other ancient cultures were playing baseball, but the idea of games played with a bat and ball is as old as human civilization itself. So what did a ball and stick game look like in ancient Egypt? As to date, we know that there were two games in ancient Egypt. One was known as Cat, and the other was known as Seker Hamat, which literally translates as to batting the ball, and it's been identified by several Egyptologists. There's a journalist named Stuart Cullen who wrote in an 1891 article for the Journal of American Folklore that short wooden objects that were shaped like cats were used in an ancient form of game later known as Cat. These artifacts dated back to 2500 BCE. The wooden objects, which tapered down to the end and looked very similar to a modern-day baseball bat, could have been used as a bat and ball game in ancient times. To further expand on that idea, Egyptologist Peter Picconi wrote in a 2003 article titled Pharaoh at the Bat that the earliest known references to Seker Hamat, which again translates as batting the ball, is a fertility rite and ritual of renewal, and it's been inscribed on pyramids dating back to 2400 BCE. He writes that he interprets these ancient spells that have been written on scrolls in some of these pyramids were commanding a pharaoh to cross the heavens and strike a ball in the meadow of a sacred apis bull. We also look at historian Robert W. Henderson, who added in his book Ball, Bat, and Bishop, 
that the main chamber of tomb 15 at Beni Hassan has a depiction of someone catching a ball as well as throwing. In addition, there are pictograms that show two women, each riding on the back of another woman, who appear to be doing some form of ball handling. The image of one woman pretty clearly depicts her in the act of throwing, catching, and fielding a ball, and the other is quite plausibly about to throw a ball back. Henderson states later in his book that he believes baseball and these other ancient ball and bat games have a strong connection with one another, and he states, It's the purpose of this book to show that all modern games played with bat and ball descend from one common source, an ancient fertility rite observed by priest kings in Egypt of the Pyramids. Let's fast forward to 1500 BCE and look on the Mexican Peninsula. We have the Olmec Civilization. That was an empire considered old even by the Aztecs, and they apparently participated in ball and bat games thanks to recent archaeological finds. Cesar Gonzalez, who's from the Society for American Baseball Research, has written about rubber balls discovered at different sacrificial sites, and they believe that they were used as a form of early Mesoamerican games that were played with a stick. From what they've discovered so far, these balls weighed as much as 9 pounds, and earlier versions of the game probably featured players using their hips or their forearms to hit the balls back and forth, but there were rackets, bats, and handstones that were used as time went on. The courts were usually long, sort of like narrow alleys, with slanted side walls so the balls could bounce. These ball courts have been found as far north as modern-day Arizona and as far south as Nicaragua. In these games, normally, there would be two teams that would consist of two to four players on each side. And most versions of the game were similar to modern-day racquetball, with players taking turns hitting the ball against the wall for their opponent to return. The sport was brutal, though. Imagine a six- to nine-pound ball flying at your face. Diego Duran, a Spanish chronicler observing the game almost 500 years ago, reported that players got bruises so severe that they often had to be lanced open, and that players were even killed when the ball hit them in the mouth or the stomach or the intestines. We know later... Uh, civilizations in Mesoamerica, including the Aztec and Mayan civilizations, played stick and ball games at religious events. And yes, these games were often played in combination with ceremonies involving human sacrifice. Consider them opening acts for the main event. But the sport was also played casually for recreation by children, and may have been played by women as well. These games went by different names depending on the civilization, but common ones include Pocatoc and Pits, which were both Mayan terms, and Olamelitzi, hope I'm saying that right, as an Aztec term. So there is evidence of ball and stick games played in ancient Egypt and in Mesoamerica. Let's travel through history, continuing and going to modern-day Romania. There's a popular game that's played there now called Oink, and that dates all the way back to the Middle Ages. There's a document dated from 1310 that states the game itself was invented by shepherds in the first century. Oyenka has 11 players on each team, and they toss pitches to one another, and each side would use a ball hit by a bat, which was shaped like a cricket bat. Imagine a flat bat. There were nine bases that had to be run around, and base runners could be tagged out. Romanian historian Christian Coctesu even goes as far to say that the American pastime of baseball derived from the ancient game of Oinka. 
let's cross over to Western Europe. There's a French manuscript that dates to 1344 that contains an illustration of clerics playing a game similar to baseball known as la soule. The ball, or the soule, was typically made of wood or a pig's bladder and it would be covered in leather. The leather ball was usually played as the main piece and two teams, typically made up of two nearby towns, would compete against one another and the team sizes would range anywhere from 20 players all the way up to 200 players on each side. The game would start with something similar to a tip-off in basketball. One designated individual would be surrounded by all of the players that were participating, and he would throw that ball up in the air to begin the game. The object of Lasul was to, using sticks or whatever you felt like using, to bring the ball back to just in front of your town's church. Sometimes the distance between the two churches in these two towns could be very far, so that meant players were hitting this ball through fields and forests and over rivers and streams. There are some accounts of wooden posts being set up outside these churches as that mark to get the ball over to in order to achieve victory. Lasul became so popular that it was actually outlawed on holidays by the Catholic Church because they felt it was competing. There were also rules passed by certain lords and even Edward III that stated that ball and stick games like Lasul couldn't be played because their popularity was outgrowing more traditional sports such as archery. Now Lasul as an organized sport was usually only for men to play. Women were allowed to, were not allowed to play. Uh, there were no established rules, although there were some regional variants that did exist but no official established rules. And games could last for days, and they would usually end when one side just dropped from exhaustion. But it was a popular sport. There were large crowds that would come out and watch these matches. And in essence, these games were, on some smaller level, similar to a crosstown rivalry game. And they were played for pride and bragging rights. Lasul gave us one modern tradition that baseball uses today, and that's the practice of having a person of prestige throw out a first pitch. For Lasul, at least in uh, Middle Ages, uh, it would typically be a member of the clergy. The nobility were known to host and take part in its matches as well. If we move a bit forward in time, about 200 years into the future, we see an English sport known as stool ball which could also be considered the grandfather of baseball, began to pop up in different manuscripts and writings. This game illustrates the idea for the first time of a pitcher throwing to a batter. So in Stoolball, excuse me, there's two teams of 11 players, and they face off against one another. The object is for a player to guard a wooden post with a square attached to it, which was originally the seat of a stool attached to a tree, hence the name Stoolball. And there would be one player who would use a frying pan-shaped bat and would stand in front of the post. The opposing team's player would throw eight balls, one at a time, underhanded, trying to hit that wooden square, which was being defended by the player with the bat. The batter would score points based on where they hit the ball and how many times they could run back and forth between the two posts. Stoolball may well have popularized the concept of one batter, one pitcher, in the evolution of what would eventually become the baseball we know and love today. It's also credited with influencing the often referenced grandfather of baseball, the name of this podcast, known as Rounders. So Rounders was popular in both England and Ireland, 
and we know that it began sometime during the early 1500s. It's actually still a popular game today, and is played by more than 7 million schoolchildren in the UK. The rules of rounders most closely resemble the basics of baseball that we know today. The game was played by up to nine players on each side, and they would take turns batting and taking the field, which they would call innings. Points, which were called rounders, were awarded when a batter completed a full circuit around those four bases without being put out. Cricket, which is another popular sport played in the UK, also can draw its roots back to rounders and stool ball as well. So we see a slow evolution of bat and ball games throughout history that really seem to inspire what is eventually going to become baseball. They date all the way back to ancient times, through the Middle Ages, and then we see rounders and stool ball uh, really become popular around the time that we see immigration start to happen to what would eventually become the United States. So the question we're faced with is, did these sports influence the American invention of baseball, or is it more complicated than that? More on that after this short break. So it's clear many games closely resembling baseball did exist around the world, and they existed prior to America's founding. So what about the actual sport of baseball that we know today? How did that come about? There is a classic stance that exists, and it's that baseball was a uniquely American interpretation of the game of rounders, which we just talked about, and that was a game that was brought over by Irish and British immigrants. The legend goes that a young man named Abner Doubleday, living in Cooperstown, New York, invented baseball during the summer of 1839 in a cow pasture. Doubleday went on to teach the sport to other soldiers during his time in the Civil War, and, returning from the war a hero, popularized the sport in America. Where is the Baseball Hall of Fame located today? Cooperstown, New York. Coincidence? I think not. Now, there are two problems that come up with this view, and they've really emerged over the past 20 years about this account of how baseball came to be. Let's look at some of those problems that have popped up. First off, there are a lot of references to games called baseball that predate Doubleday in the United States itself. Let me give you some examples. Baseball is mentioned in a 1744 British publication entitled A Little Pretty Pocketbook by John Newberry. There is a rhyme describing a game specifically called baseball, along with a woodcut picture of the game being played, although in the shape of a triangle instead of a diamond. Let's keep in mind that the American Revolution didn't begin until 1765, almost 20 years later. Baseball historian David Block discovered the first recorded game of something called Bassball that took place in 1749 in Surrey. It also featured the Prince of Wales as a player. In addition, there are historical records that a William Bray, who is an English lawyer, recorded a game specifically called Baseball on Easter Monday in 1755 in Guilford. Looking at a fourth example of how the game of baseball may have predated Doubleday, uh, it was from Jane Austen herself, the popular British author. She said in her book Northanger Abbey, which was written in the 1790s, that one of the characters, named Catherine Morland, was described as a woman who prefers cricket, baseball, riding on horseback, and running around the country to reading books. 
So we see four different examples of baseball specifically mentioned before Doubleday was ever around. There's another problem that pops up here with the Doubleday story and the invention of baseball in America. And that's that there's a lot of evidence that exists that Doubleday couldn't have invented the sport of baseball just on timeline purposes. Let's look at some of those. So Doubleday was in school at West Point in the summer of 1839. His family moved away from Cooperstown in 1838. If you go back to the story, Doubleday was supposed to have invented uh, baseball in the summer of 1839 while living in Cooperstown, New York. So here we have a problem. Doubleday wasn't even in Cooperstown in the summer of 1839. He would have been over in West Point. And on top of that, his family is uh, recorded as moving away from Cooperstown the year before that even happened. There's another problem, and that's that Doubleday himself never claimed to have anything to do with baseball. Upon his death, Doubleday left a lot of letters and papers, and they contain no mention of baseball or even that he considered himself a pioneer of the game. His New York Times obituary at the time didn't even mention baseball. So why does the Doubleday story even exist when he wasn't pushing it himself? The reason that the Doubleday origin story is around is because in 1905, Major League Baseball set up a commission to confirm baseball's origins. And there was a lot of pressure on this commission to make sure that baseball was seen as a uniquely American invention. So, the Doubleday story was told to be true based on the testimony of just one guy. One guy. And his name was Abner Graves. Abner Graves by this time was a very old man. He claimed to have grown up with Abner Doubleday in Cooperstown, and he wrote several letters attesting to the fact that Doubleday did indeed invent the game. In one of his letters, he said that baseball was explained by Doubleday to them when they were playing marbles in the street in front of Cooper's tailor shop, and he drew a diagram in the dirt with a stick. So in some of those same letters, Graves also stated some other interesting information that I think is important to take into account. Here's one quote from one of his letters. He says that baseball is an undoubtedly a pure American game, and its birthplace is Cooperstown, New York, and Abner Doubleday is entitled to first honor of its invention. He goes on to give another quote about maybe some reasons as to why he wanted baseball to be Doubleday's credit. He says, My typewriter thinks this is a pretty long letter on one subject, and I guess that's about correct. But your letters ask for as full a data as possible, and I've given you all the items. I can, in a rambling sort of way, but I think you'd have to hear enough to pick out the gist of it, and be better satisfied than if I had been less explicit or prolix. Just in my present mood, I would rather have Uncle Sam declare war on England and clean her up rather than have her citizens beat us out of the invention of baseball. So Graves and his letters is really the main sources to the 1905's commission saying that baseball was an American invention. But Graves doesn't seem to be, at least what I would consider, a reliable witness, considering he seems very preoccupied in his letters with making sure that the British get no credit for the invention of the sport. 
In addition, a few years after submitting his testimony, which the 1905 commission used, Graves shot his wife to death and was committed to an institution for the criminally insane for the rest of his life. Now, overall, it's clear that Major League Baseball benefited from the Doubleday story because it wrapped the sport in the American flag as our game, which undoubtedly helped boost popularity of the sport when nationalism was running high in the United States. So what can we conclude from this information? If the Doubleday story isn't true, baseball, in name at least, seems to have been established in Britain, not the United States. So does that make it any less American? I don't think so. There's no doubt baseball helped shape our national identity about what it means to be American. And after all, the United States is a nation of immigrants. So isn't it fitting that the national pastime be an immigrant's game? America is a culmination of what the best of the world has to offer. We've acquired, improved, and spread worthwhile ideas across the globe throughout nation's history. And baseball is no exception. Baseball is a part of our heritage. And we can be proud of how the game has evolved and how it will continue to improve for the next generation of kids to pick up a bat and ball. Well, that's the ball game, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening. I appreciate your support. And please make sure to check back every Sunday for another episode of Rounders, the history of America's pastime. And remember, there are only two seasons, winter and baseball. <laughs> <laughs>